0: Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership, plus get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. Hey, what's up, folks? Uh, My name is Rob Gorski, and you're listening to the Autism Dad podcast. Uh, I want to thank you guys for taking the time uh, to tune in. I hope everybody had a a fantastic Thanksgiving. Um, I wanted to focus uh, this week on mental health. You know, we, We have the holidays coming up. And that can be a really difficult time for a lot of people, uh, myself included. Um, I've been very open about my kind of ongoing war with depression. And and my guest today, uh, his name is Ethan Fisher. Um, He's a keynote speaker. He's an author, mental health advocate uh, who draws on on his personal experience uh, to challenge, motivate and inspire students and people of all ages. Um, He was a high school star athlete. Uh, He spent time in prison. Uh, and he also received an MBA with honors. Uh, Fisher's life is a a lesson in accountability, passion, and perseverance. Uh, he he's he is a public speaker. Uh, he he has spoken to tens and thousands of people and encouraged them to take hold of their lives and pursue their dreams. Uh, he's also founder of Life Consequences, a nonprofit uh, to support education and prevention for students and student athletes. Um, Ethan. Is a really amazing person. You know he he has he has taken tragedy and and turned it into something that is very positive, and uh and and he's helping countless people with with what he's doing and 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 sharing his experience so openly and and talking to us about addiction and depression and and things like that. So. Um, you know, I, I felt like with with the holidays and and what a lot of people are going through, uh, maybe this was a good time to to speak with him and, and have him sort of help us to better understand uh, things like depression and mental illness and and addiction and how we can help support uh, students or you know our kids, family members, loved ones, whoever uh, who might be experiencing uh, their own personal battles. Uh, with things like depression or addiction, how we can help them and how we can support them. Uh, So this is a really great conversation. I really appreciate Ethan coming on the show. Fantastic person. Um, I will play the interview for you in its entirety uh, following the commercial break. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Autism Dad is brought to you by Lackey Kid have you ever wondered where to find the best sensory tools for children with autism? Dealing with sensory issues can be very challenging for families like mine. Thankfully there's lackey kid. Lackey kid was founded by an autism dad to provide support, education, and other tools that can help children with anxiety, sleep, attention span, and sensory processing issues. They've helped thousands of autism families improve the quality of their lives. Visit LackeyKid.com forward slash the dad, and find out how you can receive a free sensory toy. This is a limited time offer while supplies last. So visit lackeykid.com forward slash the autism dad for more information. All right. And we're back. Uh, I have Ethan Fisher here today and Ethan, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. I know uh, you're really busy. And you're doing a lot of really positive things for the community, and I have a lot of respect uh, for what you're doing. And I'm grateful that you come here to share some insights and and experience. Um, I, I know one of the things that you really focus on is mental health and things like depression. And I I, I personally struggle with depression. I, I'm very open about that because I think, like we were talking before the show, that it's it's something that we have to talk about. There has to be a conversation. Um, how has depression Uh, impacted your life?
1: Well, thanks, Rob, for having me. And, um, you know, I'm excited to do this. But uh, depression's been a part of my life on basically a daily basis since I was in eighth grade. So the mid 90s, I really started to deal with depression and suicidal thoughts and ideation um, all the way back into eighth grade, where I actually had my first Um, suicide attempt. And ever since then, I've been dealing with, you know, these thoughts and feelings of, you know, I'm not good enough for the world, or I'm not capable of doing something. And the smallest issues or obstacles that I'd face from, you know, getting a bad grade in class would send me into these, these really dark spirals. Um, And I couldn't, I couldn't find ways to get out, um, and that's what ended up happening. Was I started to self-medicate and got heavily into drugs and substances, but it was all masking what was going on internally with the depression. And and you know, my biggest goal right now is to uh, bring education and awareness about these issues that are going on on schools across the country and across the world.
0: Do you still feel even in even in twenty twenty Well, going into 2020, um, as much awareness as I think there is about, um, mental illness, do you still find that there's still a lot of stigma attached to depression? Like people are ashamed or they are afraid to talk about it. Like they'll feel like they're, they're being judged or, um, you know, viewed poorly or like a weakness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, even though the 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 topic and, and conversation is has started to come a lot more in the last couple of years about mental health. People still have a hard time discussing their issues, whether it's anxiety or depression, or you know, it could be an eating disorder. Those have always been seen as a weakness with individuals and, and people don't like to talk about their their weaknesses. And to have something that's going on internally that a lot of people don't really fully understand unless they've gone through it it's it's hard to be open about those issues because you you feel like you're going to get judged and and especially in in middle schools and high schools where the peer pressure is like i today's society with social media and how much peer pressure these kids are going through to to admit that something's going on and then to be seen by your peers and then be embarrassed or ashamed of what's going on. It's, uh, it's causing a lot of issues and it's, there's some scary things going on with this, this generation of youth right now.
0: What, you know, I've always, when I, when I started my blog about 10 years ago, sharing my experiences as a, as a special needs dad, um, you know, a lot of people weren't, they, and they still don't really talk about it, but m- my thought was I'm living it. Nothing that anybody says is going to change the fact that this is what my life is like. And these are the things that I'm feeling and thinking and experiencing. Talking about it made me feel better. And, and I found that the more that I talked about it, the more I was able to connect with other people who were maybe experiencing similar things. but but maybe felt they were isolated or alone or embarrassed or ashamed that they were overwhelmed by their kids or, or something that was going on. And, you know, I, I sort of took that approach when it came to my, my depression, uh, because it impacts every aspect of my life every single day. Sometimes just getting out of bed is, is my accomplishment, you know? And, uh, even with meds and therapy and exercising and experience, like I still struggle. And so when you, when you think about these kids, like you were saying, it's, I don't know how they manage. And I, and I feel like as a society, we're, we're failing them. What, um, in and all of your experience with speaking and and going to, to schools, what kinds of things can parents and teachers and staff members and, and the adults, I guess, in, in these kids' lives, what can we do t- to help them open up or, or to help them feel more comfortable talking about their problems?
1: Yeah, um, I think a big piece is just the education and awareness. Um, and, I, and I use this sometimes with parent sessions that I do. Um, but you think of like airline stewardesses and the whole motto of, you know, when the, the mask falls, they say, take care of yourself 1st Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of parents and adults and administration and teachers, they don't want to talk about it in the first place because some of them are going through it, and they're embarrassed about it. So then they tend to overlook those issues because they're going through it and don't pay attention to the small signs and symptoms that the students are going through. And when you avoid things, that's when issues happen, and I think we've, we've created this society where we're avoiding that hard topic of conversation and paying attention to what's going on. Because a lot of times, you know, you think a teenager is just going through things because they're, they're an adolescent, Mm. but they're typically showing signs and symptoms of these depression or suicidal thoughts and ideation that if we're educated or aware of it as parents, as teachers, administrators, we'd be more in tune to seeing what's going on. So we'd be more effectively able to help those students. Um, so the whole thing of just educating parents and staff about what to look out for, what, how to broach that conversation uh, and talk to the kids to find out what's really going on. Because when you talk to a student, a lot of times, you know, they give you that first answer of, Oh, I'm a, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you get to that second third, and third and you start to show, that you actually care about that individual, they open up. And so when you can get past that first or second layer of questions and, and start to find out what's really going on, and then they say, Oh, my mom and dad are going through some issues, or you know, my my grades are slipping, or my grandfather passed away, then you start to get to go deeper and figure out where these, you know, mental health depression, anxiety issues are starting to take place because there is some type of trauma that is affecting them. And Mm -hmm. so just the education and being awareness, uh, of, of what to look out for, I think is, is where we need to start.
0: You had made, you, you had said something about, um, you know, a lot of times parents or teachers will will see an adolescent who may be appearing to be depressed or something. And they just sort of maybe write it off as, well, they're just 13. They don't want to get out of bed or they're 13, their mood swings or whatever. Um, and there's, you know, people can be depressed without having depression because they're, they're two different things. And what, what should people look for? Um, like warning signs or, or, you know, at what point, you know, is it just a bad day or is it a bad week versus there's something more going on and maybe we need to, uh, you know, look for help or, or try and have a conversation about it. Yeah.
1: Um, so when it comes down to paying attention, every, everybody's everybody has bad days at some point. Um, but when you start to see those mood changes where a student might have been this happy individual and all of a sudden they have a bad day and then a week later they're still in that, that bad mood. That's a, one of those signs that a, a teacher or administration should ask what's going on. How are your grades? How's your family life? Is, is there something that's affecting the change that we've seen? And and when you actually talk about noticing a, a change in a student, then that shows that you care about them and they realize that. So when you start to see change in social situations, when they're not hanging out with the same types of friends or they're getting in fights and they're they're angry or they're sad and it continually goes... And it's not just a one-day occurrence. Those are the, the signs that we need to pay attention to as individuals who are trying to help these kids. You know, a, a lot of times we, I talk about, you know, eye contact. Well, in today's world, you know, everybody's on their phones. Mm-hmm. But a lot of students have such a hard time communicating with eye contact. When you can sit down and, and look a student in the eyes, you can see that they're going through something. And they don't know how to talk about it because they feel like they're alone. And, and and as a big picture, we know they're not alone. There are millions of people who are going through depression and anxiety across the country, but students think that they're the only ones going through it. So when you can sit down and have that conversation with them and, and again, get past that first layer of questions and start asking them what's going on, then they tend to open up a little bit more. But there's there's a lot of signs that you can see, you know, drops in grades and mood changes and and complete shifts in their personality that aren't typical. But a lot of people tend to think, well, they're just a teenager and they're going through puberty, puberty or adolescence. They'll they'll be fine in a couple of weeks when in reality there's something bigger going on inside of them.
0: How um, I know with my my 13 year old. uh, He's, he's struggling with depression and he's in therapy and, um, started on meds and, you know, doing everything that we can to help him. But one of the things that we really struggle with is, is getting him to open up. Um, is there an approach that you have found that, that can sort of help to break down those walls and, and, and parents can maybe get through to their kids or, or help their kids to be, to feel more comfortable? Being honest about what they're feeling,
1: yeah, it's. I have a unique position, you know, because of my job and career as a speaker. I open up and tell all the horrible things that I've experienced and gone through, you know, in front of thousands of people. And when I'm admitting my vulnerability and my faults and these flaws or the issues that I've dealt with with depression, I've given them this opportunity to to show that i'm a human being and that it's okay to talk about it mm-hmm. so they feel comfortable when that happens now i know from my experience of going to schools and talking to teachers and sometimes teachers don't have the ability to be that open with them because they're they're in a position of of power as a teacher that they can't talk about some of the, the issues that they went through because it's kind of going against what yeah you know the guidelines that. Teachers have, but again, it is. I think even if you can't talk about what you went through personally as a teacher or administrator, as a as a kid or youth or in college, but if you just sit down and and have a conversation and and try to show these students that you care about them, that wall will slowly break down. And you know, obviously, it'll go quicker with some students, you know, but just sit down and give them you know, some undivided attention and say, hey, I've noticed some things in your classroom, you know, your grades are slipping, um, you know, just ask those personal questions. And I, I, I truly believe when you do that, eventually that wall will break down and the students will open up a lot more.
0: Do you think, do you think that um, this, the stigma is, is starting, like we're making progress do you think, or is it still, do you think it's like a generational thing? Like, like, um, my parents and grandparents would look at things like depression and just not like they don't buy into it as much as maybe the younger generation does. Does that, does that make sense? Maybe that does make sense.
1: Yeah, no, I complete sense. Um, you know, I, I was raised, uh, you know, especially being an athlete, if there's something wrong with you, you rub dirt and shake it off. Um, <laughs> You know, if, if you, if you're not injured and you can play, that means you're only hurt and, you know, just ignore it and keep going. And that's how I thought I was supposed to handle my depression and mental health stuff. And and we can't do that because there's something going on inside that your brain's not functioning correctly. Mm-hmm. So if you have a knee injury or an ankle injury, you go see a, a sports physician, mm-hmm. you get help. Well, just because it's a, a unseen illness that's going on with, you know, mental health, we should be okay to talk about it or go see a doctor to get that help. And so I think there's still that generational gap, which you were talking about, with some of the older generation saying, "It's really not that bad. I, I grew up in the, you know, the Great Depression or the recession, and we've gone through all this stuff. Things will get better, and you just got to get through this time." Well, this, this generation has a different perspective and everything's instant gratification and, and you have these cell phones. So they're willing to talk about it a little bit more than, you know, the older generation because it's it's out there. People are seeing it because it is on social media and it is in, in front of their face. But it's finding how to talk about it and then getting, you know, every generation to kind of buy into it so everybody's on the same page. So I think there's been a big shift in the last couple of years of trying to end that stigma, but it's been going on for so long that you don't talk about it that there's gonna be some it's gonna take some time. Um and, and I think we're heading in the right direction because you know, schools are getting laws passed to to have mental health days, you know, like sick days. So even corporations are starting to invest into mental health training for, for their workers, because this is something that is affecting the bottom line of their companies and their corporate life, let alone, you know, a, a person on their individual side. You,
0: you mentioned, um, uh, states passing laws to, to view, like you're talking like mental health days, to be like equivalent of yeah. like a sick day. Can you tell me about that? Because, I noticed when, when I when I saw there was only a handful of states, and I noticed I'm in Ohio, and Ohio was not on that list, <laughs> and that that I guess doesn't really surprise me. But how how does that how does that work?
1: So, and I think it's just recently because I started doing research on it too. Um, so Utah was the first state that um, has allowed students to take mental health days, and I know Oregon's in the process of of passing similar laws as well and then i think colorado arizona and a couple other states are right behind them so i think i think there's now a shift in in some of these obviously in some of these states that are seeing that there's such an issue with their students on on their high schools and middle school campuses that they should be given a couple days if 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 they're so depressed and they can't get out of bed that they should be able to take some time off from school because a lot of times going to school and and being peer pressured or bullied, those are just going to make that illness or depression even worse. So I think taking some of those days off, I, I, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about it until recently. And I, I think it's going to be a very productive and helpful thing among the education system.
0: The Autism Dead is brought to you by Mightier. Mightier is an amazing program out of Harvard Medical and Boston Children's that utilizes video games in a wrist strap heart rate monitor to teach your kids to emotionally self-regulate. So if you are an autism parent like I am, that means fewer meltdowns. Fewer meltdowns means reduced parental stress and improve quality of life for your entire family. Uh, I've been using it with my son for over a year. It's absolutely fantastic. The games are fun. They're engaging. He loves it. He uh, doesn't even realize that he's learning while he's doing it. And then he naturally applies it to the rest of his life. It's basically biofeedback for kids, so it does work for any child. Uh, but due to the nature of, of autism, kids on the spectrum tend to have a more difficult time with emotional self-regulation, and so Mightier has a has a very profound impact on that. So if you want more information, including how to get a free 30-day trial, visit theautismdad.com forward slash Mightier. That's theautismdad.com forward slash Mightier. for younger kids, you know, like my kids are, well, my oldest is 20, but my, my youngest two are 11 and 13. Um, you know, a lot of times it's not that they can say, Oh, I'm depressed. It's, I have a stomach ache or my head hurts, or it's, you you know, you sort of pick up on the signs a little bit and you know that they're not physically sick, like contagious sick, but that they're so stressed out. They're so overwhelmed that they're nauseous or they have a migraine. and you know, I get criticized at times for, for keeping them home on those days. But the way I look at it is if, if I send them to school and they're already so overwhelmed that they're physically ill, you know, how, how, how much worse is it going to get? You know, any interactions that they have, the kids, you know, kids can bully, they can pick on, they can, they can exploit any kind of weakness. And when you, when you send you know, a kid to school or force them to go to school when they're emotionally not able to handle it. I mean, it seems like you're setting them up for failure and, and giving them a day off to sort of regroup and put themselves together and, and maybe build up some resources so that they can take on the next day. It seems like a logical way to handle it. You know, so I, I would hope that these laws can can kind of bounce from state to state to state. Uh, and, and start to, to do that because it's, it really is a major issue.
1: Um, so I, I completely agree with you that you're setting some of these kids up for failure when they're, they're dealing with something and you're, you're sending them to school when they don't want to be there. Now there's also going to be a learning curve with all these laws, you know, because you are going to have some kids who are going to take advantage
0: of it. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, and, and and that's just human nature. But to be able to have that opportunity, or or give give students that option of, hey, if if you're really dealing with something, you can't go to school, and it's not because you're physically sick, but you don't want to go because you're getting picked on, or you think, you know, that you're going to go to school and it's just going to make you that much more sad because you're going through something they should be given whatever, you know, whatever state comes up with it, you know, three, five days a semester, however they end up, you know, individually doing it.
0: Like sick days at work.
1: Yeah, exactly. And these, these kids are put under so much pressure, uh, you know, not just from, okay, you got to go to school and get your grades and, and perform academically, but dealing with the whole stressors of finding friends and learning about you know, societal norms and, and now you throw in, you know, the social media aspect. They're going through some of these things that we can't relate to as kids when we were growing up and, you know, the older you get, obviously you have more tools in your toolbox to deal with things. And, and, you know, I meditate or work out, you know, when you're 13, 14 years old, you don't understand that there's options out there that can help you. You just are living in that moment and think everything is coming down on you. That there's no hope for the future. Well, when you go to bed and you wake up the next day, then you realize, oh, I'm alive and things are good. Then you go to the next day. They don't think about that in that time, and that's that's what that mental health sick day would be. Go home and and rejuvenate and and you know spend time with your family or your pets or your dogs, and and then you know go back to school the next day and and feel like you can actually, you know, be a part of
0: it. It's almost like um, giving you an opportunity to sort of get centered again and and kind of find your footing. People don't understand, like unless you are living with depression, I I mean, it makes everything so much harder. I I can't think of any life or any part of my life that's not impacted in a negative way. Uh, Even when we were sitting here talking and I had the question in my head, uh, that I was going to ask you, I'm, I'm more forgetful w- when I'm really struggling. I have a hard time remembering. I have a hard time with motivation. Um, I get really down on myself. And um, I leave like you stop taking care of yourself. I mean, they're, they they're, it's a serious, serious problem. And one of my pet peeves is when people, when, when someone will tell you, well, you just need to will yourself out of it, or you just need to get over it. You, you can't, you can't just will yourself out of depression. I mean, that, that's just not how it works. It's, it's, it's frustrating that there is still such a lack of understanding, uh, in society, a, a, about a chemical imbalance in your brain. You can't fix that, you know, uh, without yeah. treatment and without help. Um, and, and I guess that sort of led me to my next question that I did remember. Um, If, if, you know, one of the things that I always try to do is whenever I talk about my depression uh, on my blog, I always try and uh, provide people with a place to go or, uh, or like, if you're struggling, please reach out to this place or, or ask for help. So if there's people out there listening and uh, maybe, maybe they're struggling or maybe someone in their life is struggling, how you know what, what is the best way for them to, to go about either getting help for themselves or getting help for that somebody else.
1: Yeah, so I, I have a unique partnership with um, BetterHelp, and they're the world's largest online counseling um, platform. Um, they have over forty five hundred. Um, certified therapists from across the globe. Um, There's another company out there called Talkspace. And Mm -hmm. these two companies are in the forefront of providing therapy and therapists for any user from their phone. So you can set up a text, you can set up a Skype, you can set up a phone call. So you have access to a therapist 24 seven. I think it's, an amazing opportunity because I, I went to them because I saw so many kids dealing with, I had, I had an event or I had four events in, in one week in, in, in Arizona. And I had 250 kids reach out to me who were either suicidal, depressed, um, addicted to methamphetamine at 13 years old, and, and they it's... didn't know where to go. And they had one school counselor for the entire school district. So we're, it was like almost 6,000 kids in the entire school district, and they had one one counselor to go to. So they had nowhere to go. And then I started to dig more, and I found out, well, there's a three-week wait list to go see one of the outside therapists in the town. But then you have to throw in the budget and the money and how much it costs. It's like 150 bucks an hour to go see a therapist, and a lot of these kids don't have access and resources to that. So I started digging around and I, I found some of these companies that provide access via, you know, your phone. So you can talk to a therapist when you're sitting in the hallway, you know, during lunch at, at your middle school or high school, and everybody probably thinks you're on Snapchat, but you're talking to your counselor. So there are a lot of resources, and I bring those two up just because they're gigantic. And they are options for everybody because they allow you to go and match up with a therapist from all over the world to help with whatever you're dealing with so those types of avenues are out there and i've used them um you know i deal with depression still i i have issues that i i need to talk to people about so i i use therapy as well to help manage my my issues but those are some i think because you're talking about with parents those are two different types of platforms that you can use without feeling the embarrassment of going to a therapist. Now, when I talk to schools and students and, and, and athletes, use your school counselor. That's what they're there for. But if you feel embarrassed or ashamed to go see a school counselor because your friends are going to see you go there, there are outside resources you know, on these platforms to be able to do that. Um, there's another one called online therapy as well. Um so they're it's a growing industry, and I think it's I think it's really important that people are understanding and aware of it because those are options that they can use that they didn't previously probably think about
0: well, and it's sort of a modernized approach too, like kids now everything is done through their phone, and you know maybe it helps them to even feel more comfortable because it's a medium that they're so used to and so comfortable with that that they maybe let their guard down a little more and um are more open. And that I mean that's a that's a good thing. I, I see a therapist, I see a therapist in uh an hour and a half from now. And you know, I mean it, it really it is there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um there's no there's no there shouldn't be a stigma attached to this stuff. And it's really frustrating to to work at trying to destigmatize something and, and just have it be such an uphill battle sometimes. Um How, um, how can, well, anybody listening, what can we do to, to help eliminate that stigma or, or um, fight for uh, depression and substance abuse awareness for that generation? Uh, Again, I
1: think it's communication. And opening that dialogue, continually talking about it. Um, It's a difficult topic, you know, because suicide among teens is, is the number two cause of death in the country. Talking about teen suicide and depression, anxiety is not easy. But opening that door of conversation and getting parents to not be ashamed or scared to talk about it, I think is Again, I think that's the number one thing we can do to keep this momentum going is to continually talk about it. And and I say this from experience of of seeing some parents that I've actually witnessed where one of their kids was going through something and um, had an attempt on her life, her daughter's life. And she tried to talk about it among her, her friends. Um, the mother did. And when she brought that up, that her daughter had an attempt, the rest of the parents shunned her and she lost all of her friends as a mother because nobody wanted to deal with the mom who had a daughter who attempted. So yeah. And and that is so heartbreaking to say, because I know she's not the only one that that's happened to, but it shows that that conversation still hasn't gained enough momentum that people feel comfortable talking about it to where people are willing to lose friendships if somebody has a child that's going through something. So as a and I'm not a parent, um I'm a dog parent if you want to count that. But <laughs> uh, um but I I have, you know, I've got four younger siblings. I, I was the the oldest in my family, you know, from a kid standpoint. So I've been around kids my whole life. I coach basketball with youth. I think with parents it's it's being able to just to have that open dialogue to, to talk about it, because if you don't talk about it, nothing's going to get resolved. And the world right now is at, in such a crazy place that we have to address these issues by not being afraid to, to talk about hard subjects.
0: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I uh, when when I talk about depression, um, w- with my readers or whoever, I always, I have to think about it a certain way. Otherwise I get really hard on myself. I think of depression as an ongoing war because there's, it's, it's never going to go away completely. It's going to be something that I'm going to be battling with barring some kind of medical breakthrough, uh, for the rest of my life. And if I, and there's battles that I win, there's battles that I lose. And if there are, when I lose a battle, uh, I used to get really down on myself. Like you just, I mean, you know what it's like to be depressed and have something happen where you're just like, Oh, never going to be better. or I'm going to, you know, whatever. Um, and so I've chosen to look at it as a battle, uh, and not the war. So, you know, I'm going to lose some battles. I'm going to win some battles, but regardless of what happens, you know, as long as I get up and I keep moving forward. Then I'm still fighting the war, and I guess that's sort of helped me to kind of reframe it in a way that that I'm kinder to myself. I guess, uh, and and that that seems to help you know me personally. Um, how do you, um, like what do you do for yourself to to help manage uh, your depression?
1: Um, so. I- I'm just like you. I, I I know this is going to be a lifelong battle. And the older you get and the more perspective you have, you start to realize there's going to be another day when you have tools to use. And and I say that because a lot of people are just they, they just give up hope. Um and I don't know if you've seen the numbers and, and this is frankly, it's scary, but it's, it's like 75 or 76% of all suicides in this country are by middle-aged men.
0: Yeah. I saw, I saw something about that just recently.
1: And I think, and I, and I'm bringing this up um, and I, I'm going to circle back to what I do, but I'm bringing this up because I think People haven't found enough tools, or have been open about these conversations, to to find things that help them. And I've been talking about my depression for so long now, and working with people and helping others, that I've found all these things that help. So I still have days where I don't want to get out of bed. I still have days where I, I have that hopeless feeling of, what? Why am I here? What am I doing? But I I know from my experiences. Okay, I'm going to get through this one day. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to go to the gym. I read. I work out. Um, working out for me is a big thing that helps curb that really sharp. When I get hit with one of those really bad depressive days and I just – and I don't have any energy, mm-hmm. I have to force myself to the gym because I know if I can get on that treadmill or I can get you know on the weight bench, if I can start to get my blood flowing – and I get a couple reps in then I go, okay, I'm feeling better. I feel better. And it'll help me get through the rest of the day.
0: You get that endorphin release too. And that, exactly. it, it counters the, I, I used to do the same thing. I, I used to work out and I think that's how I survived <laughs> my younger years. Uh, and there was just something about it that, man, I go in there in a bad mood or feeling awful and I'd come out feeling like, you know, like a different person you know, and everybody I think has to find their thing, um, that, that helps them. But, you know, I I think it's important that people know, like, you know, you need to reach out, you need to talk about it. Uh, suffering in silence is, is not, it's not the way to do this. Uh, if it's not taken seriously in your home or, you know, with the people that you're with, then you need to find somebody to reach out to and, and talk about it uh, get help. Don't be afraid to get help. Um, meds, therapy, like you talked about exercise. Uh, those are all really positive things and, and, and be forgiving of yourself too. I think, I mean, have you ever, have you struggled with like, um, where you just get so hard on yourself and, and then if you give into that, it just sort of makes everything worse. (laughs) You you really have to frame things.
1: When I was younger, I would let one bad thought turn into two or three, and that negative self-talk would go from one day of depression to months on end. And I've learned over the years I'm going to have bad days. How am I going to mentally talk to myself and say, hey, okay, you're having a bad day. Tomorrow is going to be better. What can I do today that's going to help me feel better in the future. And so that's when I'll, you know, I'll go to the gym or I'll meditate or, or do that, but I've changed my, my thinking. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest issues. And especially when, you know, cause we're talking about, you know, middle school and high school kids, they don't have that future outlook. Mm-hmm. And so they they have one bad thought and then they, they just focus on that. And then it gets worse and worse and worse. And then it snowballs. Well, I no longer allow that to happen because I've, I've, I've found all these uh, you know tools for me to manage my depression to where I know if I have a bad day I mentally tell myself okay we can't have another bad day tomorrow cuz you had one and then I'll go find these things that I've used over the last you know 15 years to you know fight this war like we we're talking about so I'll I'll go to the gym I'll I'll pick up a book I'll write I'll read um I'll play with my dogs and I use those things to, you know, put like one step in forward and then I'm playing with my dog and then I'm like, okay, I feel better, then I'm gonna go, you know, I'm gonna go read or I'm gonna go do this. So I I use those little like stepping stones of all these things that I've built up. And I think the older you get, you you can you can see that and you can implement those those processes. But when you're, you know, in middle school and high school you don't you don't see that four or five. You're you're Uh, like you're in the moment yeah
0: yeah Um, well I'll tell you like i I really appreciate you well first of all um i i want to point out too that you you've been sober since two thousand and four yeah congratulations that's that's so awesome uh i I have never personally struggled with uh addiction, but I know people who have, and it really is that's that's amazing, and that's that's so awesome uh I really appreciate you sharing your story so openly because I think you can teach so many people uh to sort of learn from things without having to make those mistakes themselves i guess um and and I just i I have a lot of respect for you man I really really think you're doing amazing things and if if people want to reach out to you, they can hit you up at uh, ethan Dash fisher.com, right? Yes. And then you have contact information uh, on there.
1: Yeah, um and then I also have a nonprofit um called Life Consequences and yep. the website's lifecon.org. Okay. Um but those are those are my two, you know, web outlets for people to contact me about questions or informations and and booking and going to schools.
0: I'll make sure to I'll include all of his information in the show notes um, as well as, uh, any social media stuff or whatever that they can, they can reach out to you on. Again, I really appreciate your time, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And if there's ever a time that, that there's some overlap and I can, I can do something to help, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to, uh, to help the cause, uh, any way that I can. So I hope you have a really good day, man.
1: Yeah, you too. And thank you for, for allowing me to be a part of what you're doing and and you know, I started researching and going through all your stuff. And, and I want to applaud you as well, because you, you're going through a a life situation, you know, having three sons um, on the spectrum, that can't be easy. And what you're doing and bringing awareness and and also giving your sons, you know, a life to live for is, is, uh, it's pretty amazing. So
0: I really appreciate that
1: that you know when you're going through those hard times i'm sure that's one of your your thoughts is i mean you've got you've got three boys that are looking up to you that probably love you more than you understand and that should always be in the back of your mind when you're going through one of those bad days of and i've i've got three awesome boys you know i'm i'm doing pretty good so they're
0: still breathing um, i got to be doing something right
1: <laughs> you got to be doing something right cuz <laughs> Boy, boys are not easy.
0: No, no. You know, that's, that's right. So
1: I applaud you and and you're doing some awesome things, Rob, and I appreciate you allowing me to be a part of it. And, um, I hope, I hope I was able to provide some information that'll, that'll help your listeners and and audience. And, you know, if they ever have questions or comments, they can always reach out to me and, and you as well.
0: Thank you very, very much. Uh, the pleasure was mine. This is such an important thing. So if there's ever a time when you want to, uh, Collaborate on on something like this again. We'll we'll set that up and try and get as much information out as we can. So, uh, I hope you have a really good week. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right, take care, man. We'll see you. All right, bye. Bye. I just I just wanted to uh, take a minute uh, before I close things out today and thank Ethan for coming on the show. Uh, and sharing so openly about his life and and the the things that he has faced and all of the amazing things that he's doing uh, for society as as a whole. Uh, Raising awareness for mental illness, uh, advocating uh, for depression and addiction. Um, These are all um, amazing things that he's doing. He's helping so many people. Uh, I know that I personally learned a lot from him. Uh, I hope you guys take something away from this. Uh, mental illness is not something that should be shamed. Uh, no one should feel uh, embarrassed or judged for seeking help uh, for mental illness. Uh, it takes an incredible amount of strength. We should be uh, supporting them and uh, and helping them up in any way that we can. So uh, again, I really appreciate Ethan, uh, you taking the time to come on the show uh, you can find him at ethan-fisher.com. I'll have all of his links uh, in the description uh, or the show notes. So you can find him and and, and check out all the, the awesome stuff that he's doing. Uh, as always, you can find me at theautismdad.com. My links, uh, social links are at the top of the page. Um, you can hit me up on Twitter and so, or send a message directly from the blog. I, I try to respond to everyone in a timely manner. Uh, life is sort of chaotic for me. So I, it might take me a little bit of time, but I'll I'll do my best. Um, also I had received some questions about, uh, Patreon. I do not have a Patreon account. I don't know that I'm going to set one up, uh, but I did go ahead and set up a link in the description where people who would like to donate or support the podcast, uh, or my efforts in general can do so. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, again, you guys can subscribe to this podcast on any one of your favorite podcasting apps. Uh, just hit the subscribe button. I would really, really appreciate that. And uh, I hope you guys have a great Friday and I will talk to you next week. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strengthened connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U.com, and be sure to use the code the autism data checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.